you have to be able to be adaptable to anything, right? You lose your fucking job, you got to figure some shit out. You know, I've lost half my business. <laughs> I'm trying to figure shit out. And you have to be able to adapt. As a writer, you need to be able to adapt. As a creative, as anyone, right? So, was doing this, did a podcast with John Seabrook. And he wrote a dope book. Check it out. It's called The Song Machine. And it's about pop songwriting, right? You know, and sing Backstreet Boys, Max Martin, that shit. It's a, it's a great read um, for people, you know, who don't know. Uh, obviously, I'm, I was a songwriter. I, I still write songs. <laughs> I haven't written any in a little while. But there was like a probably like a nine-month stretch where I read this book. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to try doing this. Just trying to write pop songs. And I probably wrote 30 really shitty pop songs. Um, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, I, I Honestly, I probably started writing uh, the rock and roll book right around that time too, I'd imagine. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, um, but the adaptability thing's kind of been in my head also in another way. Uh, dude, um, Dave Portnoy, Barstool Sports. It was a clip I saw, I think, on YouTube. Or something, um, and he was telling a story. And if, if, if I'm misremembering this, then I, I, I guess I'm just making it up. But I don't think I am. Um, but in my memory, the clip was he was talking about being at the Super Bowl, being in some like VIP suite with one of his buddies. I think maybe a childhood buddy or something like that. And some famous NFL player walks into the room and I think the story goes like his buddy you know kind of freaked out like fanned out and whatever um but Dave said he's like you gotta at least pretend like you've been in the room something to that effect and that just it stuck with me and I've been kind of like saying it to a whole bunch of people um in different ways I did another podcast it was someone who you know in my world, in my mind, is a big deal. And I, the whole time, you know, it wasn't that I was, like, fanning out talking to this person. But it was more of just, you know, you gotta just pretend like you've been in the room before. If you're trying to get a, a job and, you know, you're talking to whoever the boss is or however that process works, you know, pretend, just pretend like you've been there before. Like, you, you deserve to be there. At least the fake confidence will look a lot better than no confidence at all. And as I'm doing more of these episodes, I'm getting more confident in like my ability to just talk to people, uh, you know, complete strangers. And complete strangers who are also accomplished. And yes, yeah, so you just need to be adaptable. You need to go change. You know, I've, I've fucking talked about that before. But yeah, it, it's just adapt Pretend like you've been in the room before. Just chill. <laughs> Just chill. Yeah, I'm trying to chill more. and We all gotta chill. Anyways, uh, check us out, please. Uh, Instagram, <clears throat> it's uh, Writing Friction. And Twitter, at Friction Writing. Um, and please share the episodes. And, you know, uh, yeah, and that's about it. Until next time. Thanks. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Mateo Ascarapur. How are you, Mateo? I'm doing well, man. Uh, you described me as pretty cool, so we're starting off on a good foot. Thank you. Well, I'm t I, I that is a bottle of whiskey behind your shoulder. I'm still trying to figure it out. Or is it apple juice? It's, it's, it's whiskey. Okay. Apple juice would have been cooler. I actually don't drink. This is, uh, that's why this bottle is still here. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got it when I did drink, but I never actually cracked it open because I thought that it'd get better with age. But yeah. then it just, you know, we missed each other. So now this is just for guests. You know what gets better with age? Not drinking as you get older. <laughs> Seriously, man. Yeah, oh. I don't have hangovers anymore. I got a lot more energy. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge drinker. I mean, you know, for yeah. all intents and purposes, I live in San Francisco, so I do what people right. do. I smoke weed. Um, but like with alcohol, it's just kind of like, yeah, man, as I get older, we were talking before the podcast, you know, I guess we're around the same age, you know, as I get a little older, dude, the more I dude, I can't I can't wake up and do it. I mean, we were talking <laughs> before, you're in Brooklyn, I grew up in Jersey, yeah. you know. So we grew up hanging around New York City and drinking in New York City is a different kind of culture, I think, than drinking in other cities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so I, i've spent some time in sf and it's definitely nowhere nearly as aggressive as it is in new york it, it's like an identity actually because before i fully stopped drinking i did like a dry january okay. and i remember people were looking at me and people were saying things like what, what's wrong do you have a problem and people were a lot more uncomfortable by me not drinking rather than getting blackout drunk at a bar they're like They'd, we'd rather you being like super inebriated, you know, so that just opened my eyes up to things. But uh, it's definitely different here in, uh, in New York. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so you were saying before you, uh, you were born and raised in Long Island. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from Jersey. I mean, I feel like being from that part of the country, man, it just makes us something not necessarily in a good way or a bad way, um, but it makes <laughs> us a little different. Um, before you got into writing, I mean, you know, what were you doing leading up to that? I mean, what were you doing as a kid? I mean, were you, you know, were you living outside? I mean, you know, what, you know, what were your parents like? Were they just like, get the hell out of the house, do your own thing? Were you kind of free roaming? Yeah. So I have three older brothers, one younger brother. There's, there's a lot of uh, men in our family. And it was very much so, you know, go outside, uh, don't get in trouble you know, be respectful. My mom, she's from Jamaica. My father's from Iran. Like this oh, straight wow. up, you know, I got this, I got this shirt. I actually bought from an LA there company is, born of an immigrant, right? But I'm born of two. Kind of, I guess life in the big city. Life in the big city. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, you know, my parents were working hard. I grew up uh, with my grandmother though. She's the one who taught me how to read. She was an English teacher back in Jamaica. So there was like some supervision, but there was also just a ton of freedom, like go out, have fun. Um, it was unsupervised. I don't think my parents typically knew what my brothers and I were doing at different times, you know, for better or for worse. Um, but home life was very stable. My mom, especially is a big reader. Um, she's a nurse. My dad, um, worked for a company where he basically was like a courier in the beginning when he got to the city and then he rose up and became like a head of shipping before the, before the company went bust. Um, so extremely, you know, large emphasis on work ethic and that immigrant mentality of we need to make it in this country. And I want to better our situation for our children so that, you know, you can then prosper for your own children, right? Cause that's, you know, generational wealth. It's, it's no accident. And we, I grew up middle-class, right. But hopefully if I play my cards, right, I can live a righteous life where I am wealthy, you know, spiritually and mentally and emotionally. Um, and then also financially to be able to pass on wealth to, future generations, even if they're not my kids, right? I don't even know if I'm going to have kids, man. Um, so yeah, life, life was go outside. It was a lot of freedom. My brothers and I all have different personalities. Um, I think I was the one who focused most seriously in school, right? Because I thought that that was a path. I thought that that was a path for me, you know, get good grades, play a bunch of sports, um, go to college, get good grades there, graduate, you know, go into law or politics or something like that and then make a dent. Even though, yeah, that something, that's not, I mean, but did you want to do law or politics or is that, that was just something you thought you needed to do? Yeah, that's, it's funny. Um, I wanted to, right. Yeah. There was, there was a, uh, there was a part of my life when I was like, yo, I want to be a politician one day. And the best way to do that, I think is to go to law school, which right. There, there's no, there's no main or surefire way to success in, in any field creatively or, or non-creatively, even though you could argue that all, all fields um, do incorporate some some semblance of creativity, but yeah, that was the path that I was taking. Then in college, it changed. But you know, growing up as well, um, I grew up on Long Island, and after like fourth grade, all of my friends were white, right? Mm -hmm. So it was that story of where like you're the only black dude or, or black woman or black person in your classes, mm -hmm. um, in the people that you hang out with, whether it's due to socioeconomic reasons or because of the fact that I played soccer. Right. And on my travel soccer team, I was the only black kid. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of that going on as well. A lot that I had to unlearn over time. 
Um, but what, what I'll say about that area and that region of, of the state, Long Island specifically, the best thing about it is the nature. And I lost that for a while, right? And I think we're going to talk about when I was at a tech startup and I lost many things or I forgot many things. And when I was coming back out of it, nature has just always been a go-to and, and a best friend since. Um, you know, I'm trying to hold in the laughter. When people think of Long Island, they don't think of nature. But you're right. If you're living in the island of Manhattan, it's hard to get nature. I mean, Long Island's people think of New Jersey as a complete dump. Yet it's called the garden. Oh, yeah. It's called the Garden State, right? There's, there's people Similar to Long Island, Jersey Shore. You got the same I mean, type like, of people, you know, man. We know these people. I'm telling you right now. Um, you know, I, I'm Jewish, and growing up, you know. Christmas in my house, my father's Catholic, my mom's Jewish. Growing up, you know, Christmas in our house was my mother and 50 Jews from Long Island <laughs> filling up the house. Uh, very yeah. funny, very funny. So as a kid, you know, before I, you know, I guess maybe before, before you were thinking about becoming a politician or a lawyer, were you reading a lot as a kid? Were you doing any kind of artistic endeavors, like in your teen years, music or anything like that? Yeah, so I was definitely reading a lot. I was one of those kids that got excited about scholastic book fairs. You know, I get like, I don't know how much it was, man. You get a dollar. I have no idea, but you get like a dollar. You can get mm -hmm. a couple books, maybe like a cool gadget from the magazine. Mm -hmm. I love that, man. Um, I wasn't reading anything crazy when I was a yeah. kid. Uh, when I was younger, I was reading like Clifford, Dr. DeSoto, Frog and Toad or whatever those crazy guys were. I did a lot of Goosebumps. Um, goosebumps. So I read, I, I was like getting into Goosebumps a little bit, but I read um, this series called Left Behind that scared the shit out of me. I don't know if you're familiar with Left Behind, but it's uh. like what happens after the rapture and like <laughs> and when, when like half the earth is gone or whatever and Jesus, you're waiting for Jesus to come back. Um, I grew up in a household where, right, you're talking about your, your pops is Catholic, your mom was Jewish. My mom was and is a serious Christian uh -huh. and my father grew up in Iran as a Muslim, but after a certain point, he didn't really care all that much. You know, so us growing up in this is very core to my my cultural identity we were just raised like a bunch of black boys yeah. you know and with with strong caribbean ties where we would go to jamaica um once a year once every couple of you years just, we you raised, would travel to jamaica as a kid yeah i mean that's how it is in a lot of immigrant households regardless of i believe your socioeconomic background like yeah if your parents are you know fresh off the boat or they've been in the country for a while and they care about their their origins they're going to make sure that you're connected to it through the food through language in some way but that's the thing my mom was all about that right we we grew up as very right jamaican very black jamaican my father he didn't he didn't give a shit really about telling us about iran or anything like that and it was really me out of a lot of my brothers that asked him questions Mm. And was like, what's up, man? Like, what's this side? Like, like what, how did you grow up? And I think that, you know, without going too deeply into it, um, he had experienced a lot of, uh, trouble when he was, when he was a kid, a lot of familial things, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a serious disruptive atmosphere. So I think that he was just like, I'm going to leave it in the past and, and allow my, my wife, uh, to really imbue her culture onto my children. Um, but yeah, man. So I was a big reader. Um, I hesitate to say that I was writing a lot, but I was writing. I'd write stories here and there. Like I remember at 10, I wrote a whole series about, it was, it's sort of dark, but about what life would be like if I died. Okay. And I wrote like a, a series. Yeah. But it ended up being like super pa like paranormal where I was in hell hanging out with the devil. Shit was wild. Um, and I played violin. So I was musically inclined. I had my brothers bumping a lot of Wu-Tang, a lot of Nas. My, you, you you're playing, were you playing violin as part of like a school orchestra? Yeah, I was school. I was in a school orchestra in fourth grade, and then awesome. I, I got out of it in like tenth or eleventh. But yeah. yeah, like I said, my brother's super into hip hop, so that was trickling down to me. But my mom is bumping Barris Hammond, Bob Marley, and the Whalers, all these types of people. Um, so there was there was a good amount of creativity and like do do what you want and and figure it out. Um, but that was lost at a certain point in my life, especially when I became embedded in a, in a tech startup. There was there was none of that. It was just me and this startup and I was all in. And at the time I thought that I was having the time of my life until I wasn't. Um, and then creativity and writing became an outlet. And that's how this all unfolded, man. That's how I'm talking to you now, starting in that journey. Most definitely. All right. Well, yeah. Let, well, so let's get there. Cause I, you know, I kind of think we both have similar paths in a way. Um, sure. Before I moved to SF, I was working in Fort Lee, which if you just go, over the, so if you go over the, for people who don't know, if you leave Manhattan over the yeah. GW bridge, the, 
Yeah. The second you get into Jersey, that town is called Fort Lee. Um, and yeah. I worked at a building that was directly next to the Port Authority building. So, I mean, literally mm. at the end, I was living in, you know, 30 minutes west, driving every day. I'm 21, 22, 23, going home. I'm having nightmares every night. Dude. Wow. It was like a financial company. I'm like analyzing yeah. people's loans and it was fucking awful. Wow. 23, you see the guitar behind me. I've been playing guitar my whole life, playing in bands since I was 13 and got an offer to play in this band in SF. And I'm like, you know what? I was sitting at my desk. I was 23 and looking, I'm third. This is 10 years ago. Looking back on it now, I'm like, how did I even, I give myself credit because I mean, I was so green in the eyes to think I could do it. <laughs> and I walk into my boss's office and a nice guy. And I'm just like, dude, I, th- you know, long story short, I'm like, I'm going to move to Essa. And I, two weeks later, I did. Um, it would be nine years of touring in bands till I, till I started writing. Um, mm. But I was a heavy reader growing up. It was always something. It was the same with music. It was something I was like, if, you know, if Bob Marley can play the guitar, why the fuck can't some chubby Jewish guy from New Jersey play the guitar? It's why the same not? thing, you know? Yeah. So when I've been my whole life reading books, I came to it in the way of just someone else did it before me. There's no reason why another chubby Jewish guy from New Jersey can't do it. Um, Mm. When you kind of had that first idea of like, I'm going to do this. Was that kind of what you were doing? Were you traveling? Were you sitting at a desk? Was it like an epiphany kind of moment or were you stirring this idea for a while in your head? Yeah, it was um, more compulsion. It was a byproduct of necessity, right? Because I was working at this tech startup and, um, again, it was great until it wasn't. And when that I, your first I began, job out of college, um, yeah, yeah, I did like some weird government program out of college and then some uh, weird government program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I just, uh, I started applying to a bunch of jobs. Yeah this company really spoke to me because they were looking to teach people how to use the internet. And it felt like just very egalitarian, you know, like giving power to the people with all these different apps that were coming about. And I applied funnily enough, cause I had, I had, you know, wasn't really thinking about writing back then, but I applied to be a content writer, like for videos. And I made it to the second round interview. And then they said, you know what? Uh, we just found two guys that are perfect for it. So, you know, we want you to intern here though. And it was all happening so quickly in the room. They brought in this other dude who I had like seen online when I was researching the company. So there was a little bit of like this, uh, like this halo effect where I was like, Oh shit, you're this dude. And then he was real suave. He's like, calm down, man. You got the internship. And I was like, got the internship. It's like, I didn't even know that this you was got something the I wanted. Don't worry. Right. Yeah. And, and bro, I mean, I graduated, I graduated magna cum laude from NYU. Right. And I had like friends that were making 65, 70. My parents were like, you're going to be the one you're, you know, I had friends like, yeah, you're going to be the one you're going to make money. You're going to. So when I actually decided to work at this tech startup for free, they're like, what? Yeah. And not only that, I have to wake up at like four or 5 AM two or three days a week and drive from Long Island because my mom, she, she, she is a nurse and she's a nurse in the city. So she would drop me off at a friend's place at like six or seven, I'd sleep for an hour or two, then go to this tech startup. And that, that happened for, um, for months. They wouldn't even give me $45 for a Metro card, man. It was wild. Um, but I was really cutting my teeth. So working at that company and I go from being an intern to then a couple months later, I was hired as the social media community manager. And then like seven months after that, I was tapped to start the sales team with the CEO. The company grew from 20 to like 230 in two and a half, three years. Real quick, thing, what, you know? what years are this? Because that makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. What what years are yeah. this? Thanks for calling that out because I find that in some interviews, I'm throwing around a bunch of numbers and it starts turning to that meme with like algorithms and shit flying by. So I've actually been hesitant to throw out numbers because it, it just causes confusion at times. But so I started at the, I started at the company as an intern in October, 2012. Most definitely. Right? Yeah. And I became community manager i think on like valentine's day like okay. february 14th right 2013 i began getting paid like a month or two later um which is well a weird gap and then it was august 2013 that i was tapped to start this sales team with the ceo company grew sales team grew from me to like 90 people flash forward it is 2016 now i'm 24 
I'm making over six figures and I'm managing 30 people. And I was just burnt out emotionally and physically. I was disillusioned with sales in the startup world. And I didn't really care all that much about what we were, what we were doing, the mission of the company. So I began to open my eyes and I said, I need an outlet. So I started to write. And I was just writing articles here and there. I was writing articles about sales. I was getting them, you know, published. Um, I was writing articles on a blog about anything and everything, just feeling myself out. But then May 21st, 2016 was when I started a novel because I just had so much energy and I had so much pent up angst and frustration about the company I was working in. And I just felt trapped. And the last thing I, I, I like to feel is trapped. So I began writing and I was figuring out what it meant to be a writer. I was writing in coffee shops. I was writing in libraries. I was writing in the morning. I was writing after work, just, just like taking cues from movies and books about what it means to be an artist, right? To figure out what that meant for me. And it took me a while to figure out what that meant for me. But anyway, I banged out this book in like four and a half months. And to go back to your original question, banged out is the coming, right word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was, I was, I was, uh, I was coming from this world where I was mostly respected by people in this company and this vacuum that we were in, but also beyond the company. I had friends, people that were in sales in sure. New York City that would come to me for advice. I would do speaking engagements. Yeah. So I felt like I was hot, yeah. you know? So to answer your question directly, I was like, yo, people write books. They are born just like I am. They're going to die just like I am. They're a sack of skin and veins and blood and beauty. But why can't I do this? Mm -hmm. So I went into it extremely confident. Again, wrote this book in like four and a half months. Got to Costa Rica after I, I quit my Wait, job. Wait, real quick. Hold, I'm sorry. Hold on, real quick. That first book. Yeah. When I started writing, you know, I, the first thing that I taught myself was again, I never took a creative writing class. Did you ever take a creative mm -hmm. writing class? I took like uh, I think like an intro creative writing senior in college, but I'm not formally trained by most definitely. I don't have an MFA so, or anything. Yeah. So what I did to teach myself in those er that early stage that you know I did the same thing. I banged out some crappy thing, but I created you know just in my terminology, it's called word vomit, where it was mm -hmm. just that first draft was just like I I just need to get it on the page. Teach yourself the discipline of getting it on the page first. Worry about if it's any good later. Um, when you mm. did that first, whatever that ended up being, what were you, were, were you kind of just like, you were so in the moment you were just, you were just away, were you editing? Were you, was there doubt? What, what were you feeling when you did that first thing? My brother, I wasn't, <laughs> I was not intentional in any way of like, let me just word bomb it. I was like, I'm going to, I probably didn't say to myself, I'm going to write the next masterpiece, but I was like, I'm going to write something wild Most and people definitely. are going to love it. And I'm going to talk about when I say, well, when I say word vomit, I don't mean the quality of the work. I mean the quantity of the work. So words, just simply getting it on the sure. page. That, that's what I'm sure. I, 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 I don't even know though, if I was conscious of that. I knew that I wanted to write. I knew that it felt better than anything I'd done in so long that I forgot what time it was when I was writing that I felt the master of my domain. And, and I felt like I could actually create something worthwhile. So Again, I wrote that book. It was like 94,000 words in four and a half months. I got a one-way ticket to Costa Rica because I had, I had a little 94,000. I like that. You know the exact number. Yeah. Well, I remember numbers, man. Numbers that matter to me. And um, when I went to Costa Rica, right, I got out of the States. I, again, coming from this world of sales, I was like, yo, I'm going to hit up the presidents of all these literary agencies, the best literary agencies in the world. I, I see there's advice not to call these people up unless you're nice on the phone. I'm nasty on the phone. I'd call these people up. I'd call these people up and they'd say, why are you calling? Hang up. Right? So I pitched the workout and I had no idea what I was doing. So when I got, when I got uh, rejections, that weren't even form rejections, but it felt like it was a real rejection from, from big people that were like, no pass or thanks, whatever. I was like, Whoa, I'm legit. I'm getting rejections now. It, I wasn't yeah. upset. I was like, hell yeah, this is real. So, and that's the that way to first, be, but that's the way to be about it. You, you have to, right. I think I, I quoted this once. I believe it's Winston Churchill who said that the definition of success is going from one failure to another with enthusiasm. And there, what I, what I don't lack at all is enthusiasm. Right. So, um, with that book, I ended up getting uh, a little feedback from like a friend of a friend who was in the writer world. And she told me like the cut part of my query, 
someone else was like, yo, maybe cut this first chapter. So I ended up getting nine agents who requested to read it. It was like January uh, 2017 when I got those nine requests, partial and full for that first novel. And um, I was like, damn, this is about to happen. Had you brought it to an editor? Were you editing this first piece of... Yeah, exactly. It was unedited. It was completely unedited. I didn't know what I was doing. So, But I (laughs) I had a crazy amount of... like ignorance and confidence right so but i had these nine agents and i was like yeah this is happening and then what happened the pitch was good right because i know how to pitch but the writing didn't stand up these people are like yo there's there's mad energy but you need to work on a lot like plot and structure (laughs) characters all this stuff and all those nine agents they either replied and rejected or they didn't even get back to me right which i feel like if an agent requests your work it's completely disrespectful for them to not follow up now just ignoring your query fine they get hundreds but to request it that's disrespectful and I'm i never got that far yeah writer. i only got rejections interesting you say that okay yeah yeah i mean you will right so it's just like um there this is just a whole another conversation about gatekeepers and disrespect in the Talk literary up, world and, and just power <laughs> but my, my my point is that that first novel it didn't go anywhere rightly so and I also had agents telling me like, hey, this is young adult. Your, your character is 17. You should age him to 16. Mm. Telling me all this, this stuff that they probably thought was good advice, but it's also a little ridiculous, right? You need to write what you want to write, uh, irrespective of genre or the boxes that something is placed in, even though you definitely do need to package it up in a way to sell it and then to market it. So that first book, nothing happened. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just like talk the listener's ear off, but I kept traveling. Right. I got back to the States. Sorry, I was in the States for like January, February. And then I started doing some consulting with tech startups so that I could make money. And I said, you know what? I don't need to stay in the States. So I got a one-way ticket to Bali. At first I was like, Bali, I'm not going to Bali. That's like Julia Roberts, middle-aged white woman, eat, pray, love shit. But then I was like, yo, I don't know these Balinese, these Indonesian people. Who am people I? Live to, there. To... <laughs> yeah, people live there, right? That's such a egocentric, like western specific mentality right you're you're propping up a western person or a western piece of art to represent a whole place of beautiful brown people so i went it's like my big fat greek wedding (laughs) exactly right it's just ridiculous so i went and i was reading this book called plot and structure um that i got off of amazon you're frozen but now you're not and i got this book off amazon by james scott bell and I was reading that, I was reading like a chapter a day in Bali, on Bali, and I was studying it religiously because one agent said that if you work on your plot and structure, I think you can pull this book together. So I was working on that, man. I was reading. I was also writing um, like travel articles and selling them for like 25, 40 bucks, just generating confidence. Um, got back to the States eventually, edited that second book, which was like a, it was like a rewrite of the first, edited with a friend. Uh, nothing happened. No representation. Had some agents look at it, but nothing. So then I was at Creative Rock Bottom. Agents, the last, this as the previous book. Were you working with those same people the second time around? Some were, some were from that first batch. Some were new. I was also better understanding how to pitch. Like I, I, I was moving away from the extreme of like being like shooting wildly into the dark, and then knowing that who you pitch is as important as how you pitch and what you're pitching. It's honestly more important than what you're pitching and how, and how you're pitching it. Because if you don't have the person this is going to resonate with, you're, you're wasting the email, you're wasting the query, and you're probably going to be you know, decreasing your energy levels depending on who you are and how well you take rejection. Yes. So nothing happened with that. Creative Rock Bottom, November 2018. Stephen King's on writing helped me get out of a rut, helped me recontextualize. It's cliche, brother. Happened to you too? But it is and it's not because other authors have talked about it. But at the same time, you know, that's like, I'm doing, I'm going to be doing a pod. You've never heard of this guy. I'm doing a podcast. His name's Paul Zolo. And he wrote a book called Songwriters on Songwriting. And it's just him interviewing Bob Dylan, Jody Mitchell. Mm. You list everyone. And we're all human, right? So Stephen King, for people who don't know, wrote a book called, and it's the only Stephen King book I've read. <laughs> um, and it's called On Writing. And it's half yes. bio-ish, half craft. And he tells you, he talks about the rejection. He talks about these things. And for anyone who hasn't read it, I mean, yeah, it's in, there's invaluable lessons in that book, for sure. I'm stoked that you, we both have, yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So November, 2018, right. I read Stephen King's on writing and it was then that I had an idea and the idea was honestly somewhat far from what the book ended up being, right. This idea it was also because I was, I was heavily into documentaries and I was watching this doc on the black Panthers. And then I was like, yo, what if I write a book about a group of elite black salespeople who end up becoming terrorists and just blowing up a bunch of buildings. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was thinking all these ideas. I was like, oh, they're going to be called this and this, that, and the other. And then uh, when it came time for me to actually be- begin the book, when I began on January 8th, 2018, I had to the, the idea. Uh, yeah. You know, the exact I remember date. the day, baby. Like, uh, the idea was refined. Um, my goals were clearer. And while I didn't know the exact shape that the book was going to take, while it definitely wasn't outlined, I was, I was ready to write the book that I wanted to write for the people I wanted to serve in the way that I wanted to write it. And, you know, I probably mentioned this already. Did I want an agent and did I want to get published? Yes, but they were no longer priorities one and two. The main priority was writing a book that felt true, that felt true to me, that felt true to the reality of America and the world that we live in. And uh, I just got after it after that, man. It's interesting. I mean, you say that the agents weren't the priority, but they, I, I'd imagine they weren't the priority because you had already gone that, through that process before with the other books you were writing, right? I mean, you had already been through like the trenches of like, you know, dealing with all that stuff. And um, so going forward with that second book, so now you have this idea of, well, first off, did that idea just the entire idea come to you in one second? I mean, one split moment, or was it kind of like, I have this idea and then you worked on it and you kind of figured it out. I mean, how did that process go? Yeah. Sorry. This is the third book, right? The second book, uh, it was, it was before, it was before, uh, I even read Stephen King's on writing, but the, the idea just came to me ideas. uh, I'm not wanting for ideas, to be honest. I get ideas all the time and I write them down all the time. I respect them. I respect any idea that comes to me. I am never judging myself in the act of creation. I'm never judging an idea saying that's stupid. What I do is I'll write it down and then maybe days or weeks later, I'll continue to jot notes. And if it's for a novel, and I'm still thinking about it months later, I say, this is an idea that I should pursue, yeah. right? But if I'm no longer jazzed about it months later, then I know that this is not something that I'm going to want to spend years on from beginning the writing process to when it finally comes out to then having to talk about it probably for a year after that. Yeah, I mean, the cycle of a book, and we were talking just before we were recording this, um, the cycle of a book, it's a little, you know, there's the music world and the, and the book world, right? Mm-hmm. From my point of view, the cycle of a book is a lot different than the cycle of a record um Mm -hmm. with books i mean obviously the shelf life of a book is a lot longer than music i feel like you know music it's like you got the album when's the next album coming let's kind of go um but you got to work that book i mean you're spending years and years and years just writing the fucking thing and then once you write it it's got to go to the editor and then once it gets edited it's got to go through this and then once it goes through that it's a long process can you kind of talk about i mean you're kind of in that process right now Mm -hmm. right can you kind of dive into Mm -hmm. was that what you expected i mean you know are you already kind of like let's just get this book i'm over it you know what i mean like what's the next one uh, yeah uh just to touch on something that uh, i wanted i wanted to directly answer your last question by the time i got to black buck right um i wasn't disillusioned by by literary agents or anything like that so this is just part of the game but i am doing a disservice to myself in the work if i'm just trying to please them yeah. So that's where the shift happened. Right. And I have no ill will. I'm not, <laughs> you have people that get really turned off by traditional publishing. And then what do they do? They either give up or they move to self-publishing and it's no knock to them, but you have a lot of self-published authors, at least that I've seen that have this huge chip on their shoulder. Like, yo, if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. You know, I'm the type of person that say, don't, don't blame other people, blame yourself. That's the way that I just am though. Right. Um, so in terms of, the timeline and, and how long it takes things. I knew that, it, that things would take a while. When it comes to writing itself, I am a person who says, write as soon as possible. If it takes you six months to write a first draft, great. If it takes you six years, fine, go at your own pace, right? Anthony Burgess supposedly wrote uh, A Clockwork Orange in three weeks. So it's like, you got to go at your own pace. But when it came and, to- Well, another Anthony, Anthony Bourdain wrote his book before uh, working in the kitchen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that. Well, kitchen, con- kitchen uh, confidential. Yeah. Ha- ha- well, first off, have you read it? No, I read his 1999 essay. Read this before eating, which I thought was incredible. 
for again for any I've talked about this book before. Kitchen Confidential. It's just it. It's like a sleeper. Everyone it's very rock and roll. You'd like it. <laughs> kind of looks over it, but man, that fucking book is. Yeah. I mean, it's quoted all the time. If you have anyone in the rest, friends in the restaurant industry, I mean, no, yeah. like you never eat fish on a Monday. I mean, there's so many quotes exactly. from that book. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he he wrote. I mean, he talks about it. I think in the first ten pages of the book, he's like, you know, I'm writing this. You know, I'm sitting in my kitchen. It's you know, two in the afternoon or whatever. I got to go to the fucking you know, and he talks about it. But yeah, you got to do it. You just got to do it. You know, it sounds like he may have, uh, this is just my ignorance, he may have taken the first few pages of that and, and sold it to the New Yorker for that for that essay that I've read because Might it has the sense, same yeah. vibe. I've had Kitchen Confidential on my list for a while, you know, R.I.P. Tony Bourdain. Yeah. But um, in terms of write, writing, I, I, I tell people you got to write at your own pace, but I'm someone who wants to, you know, complete something as quickly as possible. Same. But there are pros and cons because through me completing something as quickly as possible, not hesitating, not judging myself, then I have to do maybe more drafts than other people, right? Like Black Buck, probably like 10 or 11 drafts from when I first wrote it to what's hitting the shelves, you know, in a couple weeks. Um, so, so there's that. But in terms of the music industry, right? I study the music industry very closely. Mm. I'm obsessed with hip hop specifically, but I respect all forms of music. And there is a difference where I've been with people that will just bang out a song in like 30 minutes or like an hour session from someone making the beat to someone, you know, spitting on it. And then the song getting ready to go get uh, mixed and mastered. Right. And there are people, there are many people in, in the music industry that they have one song and they get on. It doesn't mean that they don't deserve to get on. Right. Because then they have to maintain that. And you can see who's a one hit wonder. Oh, yeah. Right. Rebecca Black. Friday. Friday. I think that was what? One of the first songs. In a million. Dude, oh, my God. I remember the first time right? I heard that song. Oh, right. God. Bro, where did Rebecca Black go? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm in love with the Coco. OT Genesis is still out here. But where after that? You see what I'm saying? So uh, in the literary industry, it there are, I think, there are definitely still one hit wonders, but it's much harder, I think, um, for people to just pick up, drop something and move forward, right? If you're not going the self-published route, because inherently in this industry, the way it's set up, you write a book, you edit it, maybe you get an agent, you edit it together. Then, you know, if you're lucky, you sell it, not lucky, but you know, if, if opportunity meets, meets uh, preparation, <laughs> you, you sell the book. And then after that, it's like one and a half to two years. And I'm like, damn, this takes a long time. But it's because they have so many other books that they, that they have slated to come out. Number two, the book needs to be edited again multiple times. Then it needs to be proofread, copy edited. There are all, you have to go back and forth on designs. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And I think that um, for some people, like the end user, I'd say, coming from you know, the startup world, the reader doesn't really give a shit and that's okay. But then there are some who do and understand that this is a long process. Um, but that's way, not, man, but, a book is a book. but that's not their job. The end user, the reader to give a shit. I don't right. have to, I don't have to give a shit when I pick up a book and know that all, all that work went into, it. I don't give a shit. I want to be entertained as a reader. Now as a writer, depends on what type of reader you are though. That's what I'm saying. But we're not, not a blanket term, but most, you know, and not even most, but just readers in general. There's all kinds mm -hmm. of readers, but they're not buying a book, looking and thinking about, oh man, how many you know copy edits did this go through? You know how many eat all those kinds of things. But I want to go back to the music thing you were talking about, making beats and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I say it over and over. You know, with music, you, you have that immediate reaction. I, mm -hmm. I say it all the time. So you know, if some if someone makes a beat, someone plays a lick, someone plays a whatever, you're gonna like. Yeah! It. You're going to like it or you're gonna, not going to like it, right? It's like it kind of hits with you immediately. But with literature, I mean, you know, we have to get people on that first page, that first sentence, that first paragraph and hook them and kind of keep them, right? Yeah. Keeping in line with that, man, it's um, if I if I go, dun, 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 you know it, right? Yo, we don't really have the same Nothing. thing in books. You might have writers that have put out a handful of books and they have a signature, but how cool would it be if you read a type of sentence and you're like, yo, that's this, that's this woman, that's this dude, that's this person. Mm -hmm. How cool would that be? Mm -hmm. And I've thought about this before with, you know, like the packaging of books or like selling of books. I have this dream from if I could get this novel published that I'm writing, this yeah. rock and roll book, um, 
like I would love the packaging to come with a concert poster of the book. So like the art form, like, so like if it's a dope cover along with the book, like you open it up and inside of whatever, there's a foldable concert poster of like, you know, the band or whatever, you know, I won't get, but I think there's ways to get, to engage people more and to create your own kind of style in the literature world. People are doing it obviously on social media, right? Twitter and Instagram and they kind of, you know, there's personas and there's things like that. Um, you know, you and I are just meeting, are you big into the social, I mean, are you Twitter, Instagram? Do you, are you in that world? I mean, Michael, you are speaking to someone that is fully in line with what you're saying. And, and let me explain, right? So again, I'm coming to this as someone who has a business background. I know some, some about marketing, right? Um, but beyond that, again, just being a, a child of the music world and, and again, specifically hip hop, I've seen people, and I don't even want to say brand themselves, but they their art is truly an extension of their personality and their art isn't just limited to write a 10 track album or something like that. It's merch, it's art, like, you know, art that they commission graphics. It is uh, just anything that you can imagine. So clothing. coming in, man, clothing, me, look at this hat. This is a black book hat. I got a black, you know what I'm saying? So, so the point is real quick is that I told myself, I don't care what the ROI is. I am going to commission art. So I've been dropping at this point, I've dropped like seven, no, six pieces of art that I've commissioned. And then a poster all on like Instagram and through Twitter, just to engage readers before the book is even out. And I told myself, yo, I don't care if this leads to sales or anything like that. This is an extension of my brand. I've shot videos that I haven't even posted yet. Yeah. I've wrapped acapella. I got a black buck freestyle, bro. If the, if, and this, this isn't like some crazy calculated formula for like, oh, I just got to hit people with this, that, and the other. It's because I wanted to do it. It's yeah. because I wanted to inject my own flavor into the process artistically. Um, so it's super in line with what you were saying. It's interesting. I mean, I feel like forever, you know, you know we're a little younger, but I feel like forever – authors were always kind of kept behind, you know, this, you, you only oh, yeah. knew the picture on the back of the book. Right. And, and, yeah. and like the three interviews they did with the New York times and whoever, um, yeah. I'd like to see, and I'm not really seeing it yet. Maybe this podcast could be the beginning of something, but in the literary world, and you're, again, you're seeing it through social media. I'm not going to name any specific authors, but I can, you know, I can look at four on my bookshelf that have released books in the last like three, four years who are very active on like Twitter. Yeah, I know them too. Instagram. I know them too. Yeah. And they, they've created a persona, whether or not that's who they are. I, I don't know who the, you know, it's like yep. the Billy Joel song, the stranger, right? We all have a face, <laughs> but, sure. um, uh, before I forget, yeah, before I forget that thought it's yeah. I mean, we're writing for a new generation. We're writing for a new attention span. We're writing for all these things. And I feel like as an author, to, you need to not only be a, a good writer, but nowadays you really, you have to be, there has to be other things to it, a flavor, like you said. Um, and again, it could be commissioning art. It could be, you know, making hip hop videos. Like I could record a three minute rock song and try to promote mm -hmm. my book that way. Um, and you I should. That's, that's a great idea. You know, yeah. Again, the poster idea, you know, there's things that, Art is, you know, it's so, there's so, I think of writing as an art form the same way as I think, as music, as painting, as everything. You're starting with a blank page, 1,000 Every single thing, man. A painter starts with a blank canvas, even though they, I'm looking at a commission painting I have. And even though that painter knew exactly what was going to happen, he still started with nothing. Um, mm -hmm. Going forward, you know, once this book is out, I mean, you know, right now, obviously you can't do book tours and things like that. Um, what mm -hmm. are going to be the things that, you know, that you are going to be engaging with? Are you going to do readings? Have you ever done a reading before actually? Yeah. I did my first man. ever reading three, four weeks before the world shut down. Yeah. How was it? <laughs> How was it? Yeah. Um, I, it would have been a disaster if I had not had a conversation before with another author. And what I mean by that was I had four or five, Again, no one taught me how to do this. I was planning on reading four or five pages. And he looked at me. He was like, like a lot. he's like, my man, you're going to put every single person to sleep. He's like, that's not how this works. And what he did was he took a pen. He was like, show me what you want to read. 
X'd out a paragraph. He's like, move this paragraph here. He's like, it doesn't have to be in chronological order. It doesn't have to, you don't have to read, you know, it doesn't have to be linear. Um, he's like, you want to do two, three minute chunks in reality. That's about a page and a half. Um, he's like, record yourself before you do it, which I did. I have a tendency to speak. That. I have a tendency to speak pretty fast. I'm from New Jersey. Um, I had to slow myself. I had to hear myself. Right. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a learning. And then you get up there and you have to actually read in front of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's yeah. It crazy, was, man. I loved it. I mean, have you done it before or no? Yeah. The, the thing is, and I'm not going to go deep into this answer. I, I'm, I'm backtracking once again, in terms of trying to answer more of the previous question yeah but it's important to take into consideration that depending on the book that you're publishing and how much support you have but even if you don't have that much support um you have a team right and there are going to be people that want to weigh in on the flavor that you're looking to inject and then they're going to be people who don't care so all i'll say on this right because this this could be a a two-hour long conversation is you have to stick to your vision and provided that you like the people you work with and you respect them, even if you don't, you have to work with them either way. Right. And they're, they're working to push your book out. And I'm fortunate. I think I mentioned this earlier. I love every single person that I, that I work with, especially for my publisher. Um, you have to be able to articulate the why of what you're doing, or at least sell them on it, depending on your situation, right? The people that I work with, I have, I have full freedom. You know, and they, they know that they're not going to really stop me from doing anything. However, I take their opinions into consideration. So I, maybe I won't release something at a certain time. Now, answering the question that you just asked, uh, yeah, I've done readings. So the first time I did a reading was in 2018. I'm part of uh, this great group called the Rhode Island Writers Colony. Oh, nice. And it was a colony. Yeah, it was a writer's colony uh, that became a family when I didn't know that I really needed one, right? Because I was just writing alone. And, and I gave a reading in Providence first time i've ever done it my name was on a poster it was so cool <laughs> and this guy came up to me afterwards he said where can i buy your book yeah i said homie buy my book i just completed a second draft i don't have an agent this book you know what i'm saying but what, what were you reading from i read i was reading from black book and then back then it was called something else and i read just the beginning part and then i i as your as your friend or colleague was telling you i skipped a couple hundred pages and then read a short part from another part yeah just to like test I, yeah. this was all an experiment for me and um, I had to go on after my friend Jason Reynolds. And if you know, Jason Reynolds is uh, one of the biggest writers out today. Should we have uh, him on middle the podcast? Uh, yeah, you should definitely reach out to him. He cool. is he's one of a kind and he's a real, he's like the definition of a literary citizen. Anyway, so I went up there. Then this guy afterwards asked me where he could buy it. And it was just such a shot of confidence. I was like, someone, a lay person thinks that my book could be real. So that was huge for me. And I've done other readings. Um, but in terms of moving forward, what a lot of, I don't mean to say a lot of what, what it seems to be that many authors are doing right now, especially authors that have a big backing is they're going on a huge virtual tour run where in their first week or first week and a half, they have like seven to 10 events. And unless the events are themed and really thought out, they're saying the same things over and over. Right. And it's like this, there are no borders. You can have anyone joining these these uh these zooms or or whatever they're they're using so what i'm gonna do and this is my publicist idea and and i loved it is we're just gonna have three main events there's gonna be an east coast event there's gonna be a west coast event and there's gonna be an event specifically with a black owned bookstore um and there there will be a lot of other events like in terms of ig lives and live interviews and book festivals and and conferences but as for launch events we're just having three and I've already, there's going to be a different flavor. I can't give it all away, man, but I came in wanting to do these launch events, even virtually, right? They're all going to be virtual. I wanted to do them in a crazy way. Right. And I was so on the one side of the spectrum. And then after having conversations with my team, I was like, you know what? Um, that my initial ideas might not be as suitable to the world that we're in today. So let me meet them in the middle and where we are right now. I feel great. There's definitely going to be a reading. There's going to be a Q&A. There's going to be conversation. The conversation partners aren't going to be people that people are used to. Uh, there's going to be a, like a celebrity. Um, there's going to be a lot going on, brother. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um, and, and for me, it's just about doing something that feels good and delivering 
as new of an experience as I can, right? Because we're not going to get this time back, man. And I'm very cognizant of it. Going forward, this book's kind of now out, going to be out in the world. What are you doing now? What's the game plan moving forward with, are you going to work on a new book? Are you going to kind of take it easy? Are you writing anything right now? What's your plan moving forward? Yeah, I'm the kind of dude, like if I'm not working on something every single day, I have a panic attack. So like, what's, what's yeah. your way about it? From the same type. Yeah. Um, I'm working on a new book nice. for sure. We got some stuff going on in Hollywood. I used to not say that because I was like, ah, but now I'm just like, whatever, like people are going to know soon enough. So there's that. And, um, yeah, brother, I'm, I'm always working as well, whether it's on, um, something art related, whether it's like shooting videos related to the launch, um, these interviews, um, I'm always working and I love it. Dude, Mateo, this has been an absolute blast, man. Um, a couple of quick questions at the end that I always do. Uh, first off, okay. yeah, social media, what's the handle? Where do people find you? Ask Mateo, A-S-K-M-A-T-E-O. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram with that. Cool. And when the book comes out, where are you buying your books from? What's your favorite bookstore? Oh, that's a good question, man. Because I was thinking about it. Yesterday. More than oh, one answer. Want... You don't. You have to live with it. Just I one. was like, well, I was like, I want to go around New York City and buy this book and then just hand it out to people. Um, I've never been to a thing. It's called the Lit Bar in the Bronx. Lit. Bar. And I definitely want. Yeah, I definitely want to go all the way up there. Let me. Let me just make sure is that I got it. Is it an actual a, bar? I don't think it's an actual. Maybe. I, I'm not sure. It's called the Lit Bar. It's in the Bronx. I haven't been there. Okay. And it's calling me right now. Yeah. Um, actually, it says, right, I'm looking. It says, once upon a time, a girl from the Bronx had big dreams opening an independent bookstore slash wine bar right here at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. I, it's just calling me, bro. I haven't been there. I'm going to go there. Um, I'm going to go to McNally Jackson because I used to walk by, especially the Soho location and literally stare through the glass, picturing my book there. Oh yeah. This sure. is before I had this book. Um, I'm going to go to housing works. Housing works is a great place. They, a lot of the money that they, uh, get from the sales of their books goes to helping people with HIV, um, people who are experiencing homelessness, um, green light, Brooklyn, going to go there. Uh, the one on Fulton and Flatbush. I've been to so many events, man. It's just, it goes on and on. I'm going to go where I can, man. Um, yeah. There's just so many black owned bookstores uh, across the nation that I'm going to be working with in partnership with. You got loyalty in DC. You got Rachel Cargill's um, new book, new, new bookstore that she set up um, in Akron, which is her hometown. Bro, there's just an, an infinite amount of great places and bookstores and, and indies out there that I can't wait to work with. Dude, I'm stoked for everything that's going to come in your future, man. I'm sure we'll, we're, we'll talk again soon, I'm pretty we sure. We definitely will, yeah. Dude, enjoy the rest of the day, man. Thanks for your time, brother. You too.